0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here. It is great to see some of you smiling. Like actually see the smile. It's really, it's awesome. I'm sure some of you are really enjoying being able to breathe. Which that helps too, and uh, not having your glasses fog up and all that Some weird problems, so uh, my wife and I have been married for twenty four years now, and uh, it is a testament to my wife 's long suffering and and generally speaking, we tend to agree most of the time, and I know that 's not the case for a lot of people, but we tend to agree most of the time, but uh, a couple of years ago, we were out of town, we were on vacation with our family we had just gotten back, into, gotten back home, and then, you know, you get home, you unload the suit. We're one of these people that it's like, right when we get home, we unload the suitcases, we throw stuff in the laundry, and then we were getting our kids ready for bed and all of that, and then as we were changing out laundry. Anyway, we go to lay down that night, and we are wiped out, but we decided we're going to watch a show, and in the middle of the show, my wife falls asleep. But she woke up, but I kept watching even though she had fallen asleep. And so she woke up when the show ended and I said, listen, I'll save it for you so that uh, and I'll watch it with you again tomorrow. She goes, no, it's okay. Just delete it. And I said, all right. So I deleted it. So the next morning, uh, we're up making coffee and I mentioned to her the show. And I'm like, man, it was really good. And she's like, oh, well, that's great. I look forward to watching it tonight. I'm like, hold on you told me to delete the show last night. She said, yeah, but I I was half asleep, and I knew you wouldn't listen to me if I'm saying stuff when I'm half asleep. And I'm like, Carrie, this is an interesting thing. I thought you were serious, so I deleted it. And she said, well, why would you delete it? I was not in the mental state to make that kind of decision. And I said, Carrie, this is very difficult for me because sometimes you ask me to do things and you want me to do them. And then other times I'm understanding that you're asking me to do things and you don't want me to carry out your wishes. How am I supposed to know which applies when? And she says, how about you don't ask me what my wishes are when I'm half asleep? And you want to know what the best part of this whole thing is? Is it that, that night I turn on the TV? I forgot to delete it. <laughs> and <laughs> now, you know that people disagree. And if you didn't know that, welcome to earth. All right? People disagree. People that love each other disagree. And, but we have gotten to a place in our culture where it's impossible to disagree. In fact, we've gotten to a place in our culture where you can agree with someone on 99% of issues, but that 1% is the reason why you must be destroyed. And and, you know, and and this is the problem. Once again, what the culture does, the culture does. And I'm not here to speak to that, but when the cancel culture of our culture starts creeping into the church, that's when we have a problem. And one of the things that I, if I can use the word, uh, of all the things I disdain about our culture today, I think this whole canceling thing might be the thing that tops the list. I don't think there's anything more anti-Christian than calling for the cancellation of a person. Let me just tell you that Christians don't cancel people. We walk with people. We don't erase people. We show grace to people, And that's because that's what was done for us. And the reason that people call for someone else to be canceled is because once again, we're living in a time where people have no idea how to disagree. And the reality is, is that sometimes good people disagree. And that doesn't make one person the good guy and the other person the villain. It just could be two good, good people, but they just disagree. Do you know that there's lots of things that Christians, people who, who sincerely love Jesus, that they can disagree on? You know that you can actually disagree on certain theological issues. And I'm not talking about did Jesus rise from the dead as the Bible, the word of God. I'm not talking about that. But you know that there are secondary issues that Christians disagree on. There are people that whom I love. And there are just like some theological issues like, yeah, we don't kind of see eye to eye on that. And there's not just issues of theology, but there's also issues of methodology where Christians might disagree. So let me, let me give you an example. Is it okay for a Christian to wear a two-piece bathing suit? Like that, that's, and it's not because of the bathing suit. Does that violate what the Bible says about modesty? And so some people feel it's okay. Some people have other issues on it. I personally wear a one piece, but that's just me. So, but you know, there, there's there's a, there there's a sect, uh, not a sect, but there's people in in the capital C church at large that don't believe it's appropriate for women to wear makeup. In fact, when I was in Bible college, I had someone ask that question to uh, a girl, ask that question one of our one of my professors, and I, I, his answer was just so good. She asked him, do you think it's okay for women to wear makeup? And he said, and his answer was just, he said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. And I just thought, like, there it is. There it is. That is the wisdom that I've been paying all this money for. That's it. So, and uh, now, all right, so how about a serious one? Uh, is it okay for Christians to celebrate Halloween? Oh, here, we got quiet now. Okay, good. So, now, the origins of Halloween are pagan. By the way, the origins of Christmas are too, so there's that. Um, but what do you do? Right? Do you just say we're not gonna do it? Or do we say we're gonna we're gonna go all in? And and so I remember when um and once again, the, the church that my wife and I came out of was really pretty far on the anti Halloween side. Um but then we we had three kids. And our all three of our kids, over the course of their lives, they had like a hamper in their bedroom, and inside that hamper was full of costumes. My kids, and this is the thing that Carrie and I realized early on, is that our kids dress up every day. So to not allow them to dress up on the one day that they're actually going to get some candy out of it felt a little bit like cruel and unusual punishment. And so, and but once again, we have friends that are totally against that, and that's fine. I mean, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like in sales and marketing for Halloween. Um, but I do see it as an opportunity to do ministry. I see it as an opportunity to get to know my neighbors a little better. Cause that's the only time my neighbors are, you know, going to knock on everybody's door. And, uh, and, and I, I, I do tease my friends who are totally anti and I'm like, I know you what you guys are doing is really incredible. The, um, when, when, you, when people come to your door and you turn out the lights and you hide in the laundry room and say, kids, we do this because we love Jesus. Uh, I know, that's just, it's just awesome. And um, and so, <laughs> I know, it's hard to be friends with me. So this is why I tell you, you know, but they're still both friends with me, it's weird. Um, and so, but here's the thing. But I, I, one of the things I like about Halloween is that it's a great opportunity to teach your kids about tithing. And um, I encourage parents to play the role of God and just take that first 10%. And then I like to come back and play the role of the IRS and take the next 30% in taxes. So it really works out. Now, but here's here's the thing. Can we disagree and still love each other? Because what marks our maturity as Christians is not our ability to debate. It's our ability to love even those whom we might have disagreement with. And... Because knowing what we believe is an absolute essential, but nobody is ever going to reach anyone if we, all we care about is being right and don't care about them. That's why Jesus famously said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And see, one of the reasons why we have conflict is because we get so bent on being right that we forget the real mark of Christian maturity, which is love. And what happens is is that when there's disagreement the mature among us stop demanding their own way and they use moments of disagreement to love the other person and create opportunities for growth. And that is what the Apostle Paul is going to lay out in this section of 1 Corinthians. Now if you're not aware, several weeks ago now we started a series called The Beautiful Mess and it is uh, the reason I call it a beautiful mess is because that's really how I look at the church in Corinth is that it was it was wonderful in many ways and it was a mess in other ways. But f- First Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had started in Corinth. He had spent a couple of years there. He had established local leadership, and then he had moved on to another city to plant another church. And what happens is, as he had gone out to then continue to plant churches and reach people with the gospel, there was a woman by the name of Chloe that he was friends with that attended the church at Corinth. She wrote him a letter and said, Paul, what's going on in Corinth is a mess. And she was right. I mean, there was a totally things were a mess at the church. They had all kinds of problems. They had division, infighting, people that were suing each other, people that were getting drunk during communion. They had all kinds of weird beliefs going on. It was it was a disaster. So Paul writes them this letter that we've been studying now for the last couple of months, and he tells them this that a divided world needs a united church. And the way that you have a united church is by having what he calls the mind of Christ. And that is thinking about things the way Jesus thinks about things. And not only that, it's, it's knowing what God wants us to do and speaking in a way that's consistent with the character and nature of God. And so in the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is correcting all the problems that were going on in the church. And then starting in chapter 7, he says, now for the things that you wrote to me about. And he starts answering the questions that the church had written to Paul about because they had some theological questions that they wanted him to answer. And so in chapter 7, and we spent a couple of weeks looking at that, he deals with marriage and singleness and parenting and is what's better, being married or single. He deals with all of that and some of the teaching that they had been hearing on that subject. And now in chapter eight, and it's, it's going to spill over into chapter nine as well, he's going to talk to us about how to handle disagreements when godly people disagree. Because what we're going to learn is, and this I think is so vital for us, especially in the world in which we live today, the bigger issue isn't about who's right. It's about how do we not just win the argument, but how do we win the relationship ultimately? So we're going to start in chapter 8, in verse 1, and here's what we read. It says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, when we talk about people disagreeing, we're going to talk about three things in particular. But when there's disagreement, here's the rule number one, point number one, and that is I need to be grounded in love. Grounded in love. So let me set up the conversation for us. There were, because Corinth was a multicultural city, there was all kinds of cultures that were living there, all kinds of beliefs Uh, from people all over the world at that time. And that means there were all kinds of temples and shrines in Corinth dedicated to all kinds of gods and idols. And what would happen is, is that people would bring their offerings to those temples. And this was usually some kind of animal sacrifice. And the way that it worked in those temples is that a third of the offering was consumed in honor of the idol. One third of that offering, like the, the, basically the barbecue of that offering, was given back to the person who offered the sacrifice for them to eat. And then the final third was given to the priests in the temple. Now, because there was so much meat that was given, it was impossible for the priests to eat that much meat. So what they would do is they would go to the market and they would sell that meat back to the market. And that meat, because it had been offered, was sold at a discount. So if you can imagine like eBay for meat, e-meat, that's a good business opportunity. And if you start it, I want a percentage of it because I had the idea. Okay, but moving on, now that we're all in agreement to that. So, but, so here's what happens is some Christians saw the cheaper meat in the market and said, cheap meat, This must be my lucky day. This gives me an opportunity to be a better steward of what God has entrusted to me. There were other Christians who said, I would never sin by eating anything that was involved in a pagan temple and offered to an idol. And this created some conflict in that church. So what do you do? I mean, who's right? Now, Paul, in the next section of verses that we're going to read in a moment, he's going to give his explanation. But the first thing that he does is talk about what matters most. And what is that? It's about not winning the argument, but winning the relationship. And so Paul makes a case that it's possible, as, as we see uh, there in the first couple of verses, that knowledge puffs up, that is makes you arrogant. But, and then he, it's kind of like a, a pun where he says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, or literally be translated, love builds up. And so the point is, and what he's, the, the thing that he says is so wise, is that it's possible to be mature in knowledge but immature in love. That you can know a lot of facts but lack the maturity to know when to say it because wisdom isn't just knowing things. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. And once again, that's why he says that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And there's a difference between a bubble and a building, right? One has nothing inside and the other is built on a firm foundation. And so that means that some Christians grow and others just kind of swell. And the other issue is, and this is the the thing that's so important, is is that there needs to be, whenever we're having a conversation where there's, hey, I want to share something and it's a harder truth, there needs to be a level of relationship in sharing tougher truths with someone. And this is where I think many Christians miss the boat. You know, over the years, people have whether whether written me letters back in a more quaint time uh, when people wrote letters, but now they'll they'll send me an email, and sometimes they will just be brutal in the email and just tell me like, this is what I don't like about you and I want to like about your mom, you know like anything, you know, just like all this stuff, right and then at the I, my favorite part, and I do have a favorite part, when people write all this, and then at the end they'll sign it in Christ's love and then sign it, and it's like, listen, buddy. Yeah, there's, this letter had a lot of things, but Christ's love was not one of them. And so, but I think, I don't know if it, they feel like, no, as long as I sign it with that, that's the spirit in which it was written. Like, but here's, here's the problem is that there are two things that need to happen. If you want to share a hard truth with someone, two things need to take place. And Paul explains it in the book of Ephesians chapter four, where he says it here. He says, instead, speaking the truth In love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. I want you to understand what he's saying there, that when we speak the truth in love, that's what causes growth and leads to maturity. And I think that is absolutely vital for us to understand because one of the toughest things that you will do relationally in any relationship in your life is speak a difficult truth and, and seek to share it in a loving way because it takes patience to do that. You've got to share it at the right moment. Uh, it takes wisdom to do that. You've got to know what to say in the right moment. And it takes restraint to do that because sometimes what, what happens is, is that they'll say, hey, i got to talk to you about something. And then it's like the last five years of everything you ever did to bother me. And then it, it's like this emotional vomit that comes out. And it's like that sharing everything isn't helpful. You've got to have some restraint. And, and once again, when we do that well, according to this verse, growth and maturity is the result. But see, one of the things that I've said is that to be able to do that, there ha- a couple of things have to be true. And, and in your notes, you'll see I wrote this little equation that I've used from time to time. And it says this, if you're a note taker, and that is that length of time plus depth of relationship equals level of intensity. This is always true, and it's true in every relationship in your life, that the length of time you know someone, the depth of relationship that you have someone is the level of intensity that you can have with someone. So to give you an example, uh, a few years ago, I was uh, walking through a parking lot down like a few miles from here, and uh, I was out in a plaza outside of a Gold's Gym. And the reason I was there is because a few doors down from Gold's Gym, there's a steak and shake. And so... <laughs> Let's not focus on that though. I'm just trying to give you some context and why I was holding a chocolate milkshake in my hand. Anyway, so so the salesman from Gold's Gym comes, he's in the parking lot talking to people and he hands me uh, like a little pamphlet and he says, hey, why don't you come and join the gym? Uh, He says, do you have a gym membership? I said, no. And he proceeds to tell me all the benefits of joining the gym. And so I I just, I'm like, hey, okay, no thanks. And then he says, look, man, you're 50 pounds overweight, you need this. And I said, is this your strategy for getting new members, insulting them? And he's like, no, no, that's not what I meant. And it was too late. And, uh, and I always mention Gold's Gym, like in particular, because of my experience and why I've never become a, become a member. And so anyway, and by the way, I was more than 50 pounds overweight at the time. He was underselling the situation. But that's not the point. There was no time and no depth of uh, no no depth of relationship, so there was no level of intensity that that he could have with me. Now, all right, let me fast forward about eighteen months, and I'll tell you a, another story about a gym. Right, I'll tell you this quick. So I'm at a different gym about eighteen months, which I had become a member because they didn't insult me when I was walking by, and so I'm on the treadmill. And what I would do at the time is I would go on the I would run. Uh, a mile mile and a half, right when i was on uh, right when I got there well as i 'm running, this guy shows up next to me, and apparently he had been in the at the gym for like six or seven hours because the level of b o that we 're dealing with here could have been bottled and uncorked to uh, help people who had passed out potentially even wake the dead uh, this this i mean the guy really stunk and so now, he gets there, and I'm like, Oof. you know, you have one of those visceral reactions. And so I'm running, and I'm like, wow. And, and now I'm like, I need, to, I need to leave. I need to leave this zip code. Uh, this, is, this is rough. Not just this gym. I need to leave this city. And so, but I'm like, but I can't, I can't leave now, because if I leave, like, immediately, the guy's going to think that I'm leaving because of him, which I was. But you can't do that. So now I don't know what I'm gonna do. So now I'm still having this conversation in my mind and I'm like, now a little while has gone by. And you know how like you get to like certain breaks, like you run a mile, then you're like a mile and a half. Then you're like, you know, like 1.6. And then you're like, well, you can't stop at 1.6. Yeah. Then the guy's like, well, I'll just go to two. And so anyway, so I'm, 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 I'm running. And then the guy's wife comes over, at least I think it was his wife, and uh, she hands him a bo- a. a like one of those little containers of uh, water, um, and and she says, honey, you really smell. And now, I have my headphones in, and it was before things were earbudded, and so they were, like, connected to stuff. And so, but you know, okay, so... <laughs> you know this is going to go poorly. That's So, you know how when you have headphones in and you're listening to music, that you talk louder than... You think you're talking, like you're like, you know, wow. You know, you think you're whispering. Instead, you're speaking at full volume. Because, anyway, so um, I'm running, and yet I can still kind of hear what's going on. And then this lady comes over, hands the bottle of water to her husband. She says, honey, you really smell. And I said, testify. And, uh, <laughs> and they both turn to me. And I see this, and, and I just go, testify the lord's goodness and i just kind of did one of these too just to really sell it like oh this guy's listening to gospel music like yeah that's what i'm doing that's what i'm that's what i'm doing (laughs) so now why could that lady say that Because there was length of time and depth of relationship, which equals the level of intensity in which you speak. And this is the thing that is so vital because sometimes we say, well, I'm just going to tell the truth with no love. Well, listen, love with, I mean, truth without love is brutality. And then when we're like, well, I just want to be loving. But here's the other problem is that love without truth is hypocrisy. And, and this is why we need these two things. What causes growth is when love and truth are working together. And the closer you are to someone the lo- and the longer you know them, the deeper the conversations you can have and the greater the truth you can share. Now, as Paul has laid this out as the groundwork, here's what he says in verse 4. And he gets to the meat of this. He says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other god but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and, for, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God for neither if we eat, are we the better, nor if we do not eat, are we the worse. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing I wanna tell you about what happens when people disagree. If I'm, number one, I'm gonna be grounded in love. Then number two, I need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Now Paul shares his view on the matter that there is no God except our God. Even though culturally there might be things that are considered gods or lords or whatever, the, the reality is, is that there is no God except our God. And anything offered to an idol, he's saying, is nothing. However, there are those who Paul calls weak. And that is those who feel guilty when they eat that food. What are they to do. Now, what I, I want to share with you is, is that in another letter that Paul wrote, in a letter, the letter to the Romans, which is one of the more famous letters in the New Testament, Paul deals with the very same issue because Christians in Rome had had the same problem and some had gone to a different extreme. So let me read this to you. He says, for one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. It's a good verse if you're a carnivore, by the way. Uh, let, not, <laughs> let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Now, the reason he says that is because some Christians in Rome had had this thought like, how do we know that the meat that we're eating hadn't been offered to an idol and they just weren't discounting it and they're just selling it full price? So because we have no ability to know, I'm just not going to eat anything so that there's no chance I could offer, eat anything that had been offered to, uh, in, in, a, in a pagan temple. And Paul Uh, What he says is is that the person who is weak, that is the person who is easily offended. Their conscience is easily offended. They feel guilty about everything. And by the way, this is, I think, important to note. Being offended all the time or feeling guilty all the time is a sign of spiritual immaturity. And typically, someone um, who is offended all the time, they don't want there to be any gray areas in life. Here's the problem with that. There are gray areas in life. And what happens is, is that most of us, and truth, there's more gray areas than we want there to be. And the problem is, is that we want everything to fall into one of two categories. It's either sacred or sinful, good or bad, yes or no, and that's it. And so everything falls into one of those two buckets, sacred or sinful, and then God tells us to enjoy the sacred, avoid the sinful, and that's it. There's no more need for discussion. If that's the case... And God has already spoken on everything and every situation. Why does the Bible tell us over and over to seek wisdom? I don't need that much wisdom if there's only two categories. I just need the ability to know how to read the labels correctly. You see, but when the question comes up, I mean, is it okay for a Christian to watch a rated R movie? Well, I mean, like, well, PG is okay, and G for sure. And PG-13, I mean, well, I don't know. And rated R, definitely not. But by the way, before you get to rated R, remember that the Passion of the Christ was rated R. And uh, I know you wouldn't be against that one. And it's like, well, yeah, that's my one exception. And once again, and by the way, if you're like, oh, that's so silly, I don't even worry about that stuff. So, and if you're saying yes, then you've got to ask yourself if watching movies with nudity and gratuitous violence is really healthy for you to watch. And say, well, then just tell me which one it is. No, because it's not necessarily for me to tell you it's for you to pray and ask for wisdom so that God can give you wisdom to know what should I accept and what should I steer away from and what this is these moments where once again we have to listen to the Holy Spirit and find out what he wants us to do when I first became a Christian in fact when my brother was leading me to Jesus um, he started telling me all these things Uh, he had shared the gospel with my wife and I and we were just dating and, and we were like, yeah, I, I want to become a Christian, and I want to invite Jesus into my life. He's like, okay, but let me tell you what that means. All that rock music you listen to, you got to throw it all out. And all this other stuff you do, you got to stop doing that too. And I'm like, all right, you know. And so I became a Christian, and I wanted to honor what I said. So I took every cassette, see, and yes, I had cassettes, uh, cassette, CD, all the vinyl I had, and I threw it all away because I was told... Um, and not just by him, by, by pretty much most of Christian culture at that time, that anything that wasn't Christian was satanic. Anything that wasn't Christian was, was satanic. And by the way, doesn't matter what, what it was, if it's not put out by like a Christian record label, it was satanic. And so for years, I didn't listen to anything that wasn't expressly Christian. And then, um, and then what happens is, and, and I was in a Christian band and all that, and all that was good. And then, you know, you start growing, and then you realize, like, we don't have that same rule when it comes to movies or books. Or why is it that we only feel that way about about music? And, and I started reviewing things like I review everything. Is like, um, is do I think this is going to be good for me? And so I just made the decision not based on was it published by a Christian publisher? No, is is the content going to be helpful or not helpful? And so, and there were people that uh, disagreed with that. I can't believe you listen. It's total compromise to listen to anything that wasn't totally Christian because anything that is not Christian music is fundamentally satanic by nature. And so I'm having a conversation with a guy um, a while, this is years and years ago. And so, and I, this is back at the college that I was at and I used to lead worship at the college. And so I, um, so I have my guitar, and do we have juice? Oh, would you look at that. So, um, so we're, we're, uh, I'm playing, and we're having this conversation about music, right? Okay. Forgive me, I just started. So we have this, we're having this conversation. Anything not Christian is totally satanic. And I said, okay, I'm going to play a song, and I want you to tell me why this song is evil. And um, and so now, listen. We don't play secular music here, and I know some churches do that, and I think that's weird. But I still love them. I just think it's weird. So anyway, but I'm gonna play you. This will be. I'm gonna break my rule, and I'm gonna play you a non-Christian song, and you're gonna tell me why, um, why it's why it's evil. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> And I said, I want you to tell me. I said, why is old McDonald an agent of Satan? Is he sacrificing the animals on his farm to the devil? And I said, I know he has pigs on his farm, so that place ain't kosher. So what's going on with old McDonald? And and, and once again... And he's like, well, I don't mean that. And I'm like, no, but see, this is the point. You see, there is music that is sinful. And I don't think I need to give you a lot of explanation. Pretty much anything Cardi B sings. (laughs) All right. So because some I sent, I asked a friend of mine, like, hey, can I, I want to hear something new. And he sent me WAP and I responded to him that song. He's like, what'd you think? I said, it's a crime against humanity. And, um, and so, and then, so there's stuff that we know is sinful There's stuff that we know is sacred, and and we get that, things that that aren't. But you know, there's a whole bunch of other things that just fall into the middle category. It's just secular, and we've just got to decide that what what are we going to do with all the stuff? We know what to do with the stuff that's sinful. We know what to do with the stuff that's sacred, but wisdom is everything that's somewhere in between. Now, let me just share some insight of someone who's been walking with God now for the better... Part of 30 years. Let me just tell you something. There is no joy in legalism. There's no joy in it. And here's why it's because legalism is unsustainable. People who are ultra legalistic are legalistic because they want to feel superior. And what they do is, is that and, and and the challenge is is that people who are legalistic they want to feel superior and yet ultimately they will be crushed under the weight of their own unattainable standards and this is what always happens and and by the way when I was in college we had all kinds of people and once again you get a whole smattering we get the people that are like kind of anything goes Christian to the you know n- you know like nothing is okay you know and um, and, you know, kind of a smattering of everything else in between. And, when I, and let me just tell you that all these years later, eh, all the ultra-legalists, none of them are walking with God anymore. And by the way, the goal is like, well, then the goal here is have no standards. Like, no, that's not the goal. The goal is is to exercise wisdom and to say, there are things that will lead me closer to God, and there are things that will lead me away from him, and I just need to make wise choices. This is the point. And the challenge is, and this is just the sad reality, is that so many times, um, listen, maybe it's best said this way. Here's the thing I've learned about people that are really, really legalistic, is that they are very gracious with themselves and very hard on other people. One of the things that I have learned in my life is that you will be much happier being a little harder on yourself and more gracious with others. And and by the way, you'll probably have a few more friends too if you're a little harder on yourself. That is, well, am I going to do, oh, I don't have to do that. It's just, no, no, no. You do what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, the way you said you're going to do it. I tell our staff this all the time. Do what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, the way you said you're going to do it. Um, But if somebody else doesn't, we want to be gracious with them. See, the problem with legalism, Paul talks about this in in, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Here's what he says. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. And that's where legalism takes people. And that's kind of gets to the heart of the matter, which is what he's talking about next in verse nine. Here's where we'll begin to draw it to a close. He says, but beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat the things that are offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, last thing about disagreements, and that is this, if you're a note taker, and that is that I need to be gracious with others. Here's the thing that Paul is saying. Don't stumble people with your freedom. That's what he says to the person who's more mature and the challenge to the person who he would consider weak or easily offended, here's the question we have to ask. Why am I so easily offended? And why is it that I can't disagree with someone and still love them? You see, if someone has to agree with me 100% or they're just a messenger of the devil, listen, our world is going to be very, very small. But see, when you're mature... You just have this ability to let go of certain things for the sake of others. And it's a way where you love people without them even realizing that you're loving them. And, and, and I'll give you an example. I don't talk about this hardly ever. But um, according, you know, once again, as you read the Bible, what you'll find is there's nothing wrong or nothing sinful about having a drink. How, the Bible says plenty about getting drunk. But that's a different thing than having a drink. Drinking was common in the culture of the Bible. In fact, uh, some of that is because of contamination and uh, all of that in the water at the time. And so what a lot of times people would do is they would drink wine, which was really just, um, you know, one part wine to four parts water. It was just used to kind of distill the, the, the water. Anyway, but Paul tells Timothy, uh, who was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, he says, listen, why don't you have a little bit of wine for your stomach issues and don't not just drink water? But see, so, so once again, I think someone who wants to have a drink, that's not a problem. But in America, one out of three people is either an alcoholic or has a family member or friend who's an alcoholic. And so that freedom can make someone stumble. So I've just chosen that I'm not gonna drink at all. And the reason I do that is because just about every time my family goes out, we run into people from Calvary every time. And so I just can't even imagine how awkward it would be to someone who struggles with alcohol or their spouse or their family member is going through a whole thing of, you know, like this is destroying their family and their life. And they walk up to their pastor and he's slamming back a dos equis, uh when they walk up. Like, what do you say to that guy? You know, like, hey. Stay thirsty, my friend. And, uh, like, I, I don't, I don't, no, I, and, and once again, not that having a drink is wrong, but because it has the potential to stumble so many people, I just make this decision. Like, I'm just not going to drink at all because I'd rather curb my freedom for the purpose of being able to teach God's people. The bottom line is this, and this is the thing that I think is really important that we have to give people grace to grow. If I'm mature, and some brother or sister is offended by my freedom, I should be willing to curb my freedom to not stumble them. And if I'm the person who's easily offended or the weak one, I need to realize that these are moments to grow in maturity and offer grace if I disagree with something. But listen, as I've said, canceling someone, I'm sorry. That is one of the most anti-gospel things that someone can do. Jesus doesn't cancel, and Jesus' people shouldn't cancel either. Instead, we choose to curb our freedom for the sake of others. You know why? Because Jesus curbed his freedom and came to earth to save people. This is why one of our challenges is we get into this very American mindset where we've got to demand our rights, demand our way. Listen, having it, having it your way works fine at Burger King. It just doesn't work fine where Jesus is king. And you've got to realize that And this is true of the offended person and the mature person because the offended person is demanding that everyone think like them, as is the unoffended person. True maturity, true freedom is when I'm willing to curb my freedom for the sake of someone else. And listen, and this is, this is it. This is like the whole ballgame, right? If you want greater peace in your life, joy in your home and your workplace and your relationships and your marriage with your kids, listen, you got to do what Paul says and not major in the minors. There's a time for conflict, and we've talked about that uh, many times here but not over secondary things that are not that big of a deal if you're the strong one thank god that you're in your you are where you are in your relationship with him and don't let the and just let the silly things go and don't stumble other people and couples know this every time i i talk to a couple and they're like even if they're not a christian and they'll say hey i'm, I'm getting married what, what should i do one piece of advice And it's like i'm getting going through the checkout counter or i'm talking to someone like here's my number one piece of advice, I say pick your battles because that's going to determine how much joy you have in, in, your, in your marriage. Because there are some things that you aren't going to agree on and that's true in any relationship. And you know what? That's okay. That means that both of you are human. And instead of allowing these disagreements to divide you, use them as opportunities to serve one another. And here's how that works because it's easy to let differences separate you. But when you decide that it's like, you know what? I know we disagree, but I still accept you. I still love you. Now it becomes a way to express love to someone else even if we don't necessarily agree. Because you love them more than you love being right or having your way. And this is true in every relationship in our lives. And listen, you wanna know the problem? Is that the last year or so, we have been separated from people and it's been so damaging to us. There is something dehumanizing when we've had to walk everywhere in public and have our face covered because we think that you know we are a weapon potentially to someone else or someone else is a weapon to us, but there's just something dehumanizing about not seeing someone else's face. And, and here's the point. This is why people, you ever notice that people are really tough online, but then you have a conversation with them and they're very different? It's because when you're online, you don't see the person's face. You're not having a conversation with with someone. But yet, what takes place, when you're just face-to-face with someone, it's very different because it has a way of humanizing us. And listen, the last election divided our country more than ever, as did a host of social issues that are way more nuanced than our culture can handle. Instead of just creating good guys and bad guys in every situation. And listen, maybe, in fact, let me say probably, some relationships in our lives have been damaged because we've demanded our way. Or maybe we've been the one that's easily offended. Listen, this is our moment to acknowledge that and grow. It's it's our moment for God to show us the error and say, you know what? I don't want to be the weak one, and I don't want to be the one that is, is unyielding and demanding. You see, when you really understand, and this is so huge, when you really understand that you're accepted and loved by God, you know the opinions of others aren't really all as important to you. And that's why the weak person is offended. The weak person's offended because they don't understand how much they miss the mark, but yet God loves them anyway. The free person demands his way because he doesn't realize that the freedom that he feels comes from a Savior who limited his freedom so that we could be accepted by God. And listen, wherever we are in this equation, this is our moment to grow. It's our moment to know Jesus better by deepening our relationship with him and being gracious to others because, my friends, that is what this world needs now more than ever. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for this reality that we can be a people who love, we can be a people who are gracious, even on difficult topics for the purpose of there being growth, maturity, and transformation. So Lord, I pray that this congregation, this group of believers, that we would be a people of grace and not what our culture does as it, Tears itself apart. God, we need healers in this world. May we be that. And we prayed in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, All you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.